Now, I have a profound and life-changing illustration to show you right now. It's not that good, but I got to ask you a question uh, that we have a lot of smart people here, doctors, lawyers, and everything like that, uh, finance people. Uh, so feel free to shout out the answer right now. I'm going to shake the bottle. Eyes on me. All right. All right. Why did water come out the bottle? Because I shook it. All right, that's an answer. <laughs> Sometimes people say it's because you took the top off, because you shook it. Oh, y'all didn't expect this piece right here, did y'all? <laughs> Nothing's coming out. See that? Uh, the reason water came out of this bottle is because there is water in the bottle. Now, relationships in life are full of bumps and things that shake us up. However, if you are shaken by the behavior or words of someone else, what comes out of you is what was already inside of you. Jesus, when he's talking to some religious leaders, here we go, let's go, we going up today, 1130. All right, let's go. Every relationship is full of bumps and bruises. And a lot of times, the easiest thing for us to do is to externalize and to blame the bumping and the bruising. If you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have said this. If you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have felt this. But scripture has something different to tell us. Scripture tells us the problem, the main problem is me, myself, and I. Now, I, I do want to give a, a really big caveat so that no one hears me saying something that I'm not saying. A lot of people have experienced, recently even, real catastrophic and earthquake events in their life. And I am not saying that you are to blame or, or, or that that earthquake event is something that is insignificant or that is what put that inside of you. What I'm talking about are the minor day-to-day -day bumps and bruises that come in dealing with people. Now, life is a three-way struggle. We struggle with God, we struggle with other people, and we struggle with ourselves. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice when we ignore what's going on inside of us. As a matter of fact, I would say that if you want to improve your relationships with your parents and your kids, uh, your coworkers, your boss, your significant other, your spouse, uh, the number one way to improve every single relationship that you are in is to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of you. Scripture would tell you that the problem is not that they shook you. Scripture would tell you that the problem is what's already inside of you. In James 4 and 1, he says it like this, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, researchers and different uh, um, sociologists and psychologists will say that uh, the number one indicator of a declining relationship is not necessarily communication style. It's not different backgrounds that you've come from, but rather it, there are unprocessed emotions. There are difficult things going on in the inside of someone. There's a whole lot of water on the inside that keeps on coming up, and then we externalize it and blame it on someone else. A man named Dr. Gottman uh, talks about the four horsemen of every relationship, and these are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. 
and that when you see these things present in any relationship, you certainly see the loss of what we certainly would call real love in any relationship. And all of these things are, are internal things. Criticism is attacks the character of a person. Now, instead of focusing on the behavior, criticism attacks the person. What is that rooted in? It's, it's rooted in pride and superiority. Similarly, contempt is this expression of superiority. What an, you're just an idiot. Defensiveness is also prideful, and it's self-protection through righteous indignation. It's rooted in an inability to accept responsibility. Stonewalling is the last, where the listener withdraws without resolving anything. Now, many times a person stonewalls in response to the criticism, contempt, or defensiveness of the other person, uh, but certainly to you, for the criticism, the contempt, or the defensiveness you have in your relationships, to you, James would say that the source of the wars, it's not them. It's not because the dishes were out. It's not because they didn't make you tea. It's not because they were making too much noise. It's not because they're inconsiderate. If they're inconsiderate, you should, uh, you, you're certainly welcome to be crit critical of their behavior. But a critical person of someone else has something else on the inside of them. There is this prideful superiority which is waging war and is causing wars and conflicts, and it is not them. It's you. It is what is existing on the inside of you now, and certainly the shakes and the bumps and the bruises of life bring it out, but we would do ourselves very well to never ignore what's going on in, inside of us. Now, anybody who's here with your spouse, I want you to keep your elbows tightly <laughs> pinched by your side, no elbowing someone in the ribs. Um, so those of you who are here and you're not with a spouse or you're not married or you're, uh, you tend to think about other people who need to hear this message. I want you to resist the urge for that. Now, I get this every single Sunday. It's not going to happen today because I'm mentioning it now. But people see me in the hallway say, yo, Jay, that message, yeah, that message is fire, bro. Yo, I wish my cousin was here to hear that. I'm going to send her that message. <laughs> now, I do want you to hit send on, I want you to send a message, but I, I don't want you to miss the target for this message. The target is you. Don't think about what so-and-so needs to do. I want you to think about yourself. Now, it's so easy to daydream and think about, if this person were just to change this, man, my life would be so much easier. Now, a lot of us could daydream about the people that we are in relationship with, our kids, our parents, our coworkers, our significant others, our friends, and we think, man, that is just so annoying. If they would just change this, my life would be so much easier. Now, that's very humbling for a couple of reasons. One, they're saying that about you as well. <laughs> Two, it shows us in some ways our inability to go inward and to look inside what's inside of us. How often do we say, man, if I could just get this out of me, my, my life and my relationships would be so much better. Years ago, we uh, were planning our first marriage retreat, and my wife and I, we were in the first year of our church plant, and life was very different then than it is now. Uh, we were so busy, and we decided on uh, getting a, a guest speaker to lead the, the workshops because we were just so overwhelmed with work and, and life and everything. So I reached out to a friend, Rich Velotis, at uh, New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, and um, he told me about their um, marriage uh, and family ministry leader, a man named Kelly Ng and his wife, Shirley. And um, we met with Kelly, and Kelly said, well, what do you want to talk about? I was like, cool, we got like four hours. 
let's spend three hours and 50 minutes on conflict resolution, because we got a lot of conflicts to resolve in, in, in Renaissance. All we were hearing from couples was that, man, we, got, we want conflict resolution, conflict resolution, and we could spend like 10 minutes on like healthy communication after that. But let us first do this first and foremost. And I'll never forget what Kelly said to me. He said, Jordan, people, they can't do conflict resolution. They can't do that because they don't know themselves. A lot of things that they think are conflicts, those are not the source. To get to the source, they have to first reckon with themselves. We have to do what James says. What is the source of wars and fights among you? We have to go inside in our life. Now, the last couple of weeks, we talked about some challenges to really having full, thriving relationships. One of those big challenges is we have a really big misunderstanding of what the Bible talks about when it talks about love. Now, in society, the Bible gives us, I mean, society gives us a number of words for love and words that we use somewhat interchangeably, but they do not mean what we mean when we talk about real biblical love. Uh, the first word we see in society is storge, which is affection. And this is generally the first thing we think about when we think about love. We think about how we feel about a certain person. Now, I was talking to a young couple years ago, and this is, um, we were talking, and they were saying, oh, man, I just, like, love, love them so much. And I was like, well, what do you love about them? And they were talking about all the ways, all the things they do for them and all the ways that they make them feel good. I was like, oh, you don't love them. You, you love yourself. And this is why people go to Lester now for counseling, marriage counseling. <laughs> but so many times we think that affection is love, and it's the goal. Now, affection is good and great. And affection can happen, could be lost, and can be regained in life. But it cannot be the pillar in your, that, to which you build your life on. Because love is a decision. Love is an action that causes you and calls you to act in a certain manner, regardless how you feel in the moment. When you think about the scripture that says God loves us, that Jesus loved us on the cross, did Jesus feel like being crucified? No. He decided to be crucified. When he was talking to Pilate, he says, Pilate, you don't have control over me. You do not have the power over me. I am laying my life down. What love was to Jesus, what love is in scripture is not rosy, warm and tingly feelings. They are something much bigger and better. Uh, another word that we see used in culture is, uh, for love is phileo or friendship. Friendship is a good thing to have camaraderie and similar goals in life, similar interests, but you cannot build your life on having similar interests with someone. When scripture is telling you to love someone, it's not saying find all the common interests and do them a lot. They are really good to have common things that you do together with someone, with friends, certainly, with people in community, certainly. One of the challenges early in Renaissance in our life was that we were bringing people from wildly different backgrounds together. And then they were thinking that they can't truly grow with someone and be in loving community with people because they didn't have similar interests. And if they couldn't bond over similar interests, then, well, how do I truly love one another? Scripture is not telling you to love someone by finding a common interest. It's saying something much bigger. Uh, another word we think and confuse with real love is romance. Again, romance, just like affection and friendship, they are very good things. But in life, there are seasons for your life. There will be some seasons, if you, if you are married or uh, want to get married, there are some seasons that will be full of romance. And there will be some seasons that romance is the last thing you want to think about. In it all, we are called to love. And love in scripture, uh, agape love, is not born out of the emotions, 
feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. So number one, we talked about how love is hard because we have the wrong definition of it. And last week we talked about uh, a challenge in dealing with other people is that we never deal with perfect people. We are dealing with people with real sins, real weaknesses, real wounds that have hurt people desperately, and real damages. And to be in relationship with anybody who is a sinner means that they're going to sin against you. They're going to miss the mark at you. Even if they don't want to, they're going to. One of the things my wife and I lament about a lot is, you know, we were talking the other day, and like, man, I, I, I hope that um, our kids are not on the therapist's couch in 30 years talking about, like, dinner time last night and the way I exploded at them. And I have no intention of harming them, of wounding them, but, but I know I am. I have no intention of letting my anger uh, dominate, but it does. As sinners, we sin against people. As people with weaknesses, our weaknesses come out in moments that are inopportune. As people who have been wounded, man, we're just not able to function the way that we want to, and people with damages in the same, same way. So what that does in our life is it makes real challenges to be in relationship with people, but I, I want us to leave other people, and I want us to spend the rest of today focusing on ourselves and the weaknesses that we have specifically around our emotional maturity. And specifically in our emotional maturity is our ability to face, to process, to pray through, to handle, to confess of, to talk to other people about what is going on on the inside of us, our emotional world. Now, there are three truths about emotions that are fact. Whether or not you go, that, uh, go the journey to face what's inside of you, these things will happen no matter what. Uh, number one, unprocessed emotions don't die, they just get buried alive. One of my favorite movies is Goodfellas, and uh, I love that scene where like Joe Pesci's in the car, they're driving, and uh, you know, they took some guy, they thought he was dead, and they buried him, and they put him in the trunk, and he's just like banging, banging, banging in the trunk, and they go and do some not so fun things to him to quiet him. But in so many ways, we have taken our emotions and we've thrown them in the trunk, and they're banging, 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 trying to get out, in the worst moments. Your unprocessed emotions, they don't die. They just get buried alive. And they will come out and raise themselves to the surface at inopportune moments. Number two, if you do not heal from what hurts you, you'll bleed on people who did not cut you. A couple of months ago, I went to uh, the Apple store. And um, man, shout out to all the retail employees, because yeah, y'all be having to deal with the full range of human emotions for no reason. I was in line, and this was during COVID, and this is like, it was high stressful times, I get it. But this lady was in front of me, and the Apple Store employee said, ma'am, Matt, you know, um, uh, how can I help you? He, he said, ma'am, can I help you? She said, I don't know, can you? And he was like, well, I would like to. He said, well, what's your problem? She says, I don't have a problem. Your computer is a problem. He was like, well, ma'am, I didn't make this computer. Uh, what seems to be wrong with your computer? Nothing is wrong with the computer. He was like, ma'am, listen, I need something. Help me, help, help me, please. And um, man, this, la this lady gave this dude the business for like 20 minutes. And he 
was processing and having to deal with her bleeding out with so much anger and frustration. And that, that poor boy did nothing to that woman. When it was my turn, I was nice to him, and they fixed all my stuff for free because I was nice. So <laughs> let that be a lesson. Be nice, and you'll <laughs> get ahead in life. But to be perfectly honest, uh, some of the, the biggest problems we've had doing community and being in proximity to other people at Renaissance have been this part right here. We have a lot of people who have been cut. They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by a previous pastor. They've been hurt by somebody else in community. And then they get to this new church, and they're bleeding out all over the place, and nobody here cut them. If we do not process, if we do not heal from what has hurt us, we will bleed on people who did not cut us. And number three, healthy community and healthy relationships require that you and I know ourselves. It is impossible for us to be in a healthy relationship with anybody if we don't know ourselves. Uh, in this podcast that just came out this past week, man, major shout out to our team who put this together. Uh, Lester and Jamie were the first episode, and Jamie said something in the podcast that I was like, wow, that is so profound. She was talking about the, a difficult moment in her life, and man, if you haven't listened to it, as soon as you're done here today on your way to wherever you got for the rest of today, make sure you download the Real Love Conversations um, that episode and the new one's coming out Wednesday. Uh, she said she couldn't, she didn't know what was going, in, going on in the marriage. She didn't know what was going wrong because she didn't even know where she was. That she didn't even have the ability to process or pinpoint where she was. And if, since she couldn't process or pinpoint where she was, there was no way that she could be an asset to the relationship at that point. Since she didn't know what was going on inside of her and know really what was uh, the cause of different things, Man, it was just causing so much tension in herself. The, the remedy to this, uh, to having unprocessed emotions, is what we see in Psalm 62 and 8. The psalmist says this, trust in him, trust in the Lord at all times, you people. And here's what he tells you to do. Pour out your hearts before him. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Now, I love the imagery and the language that the psalmist uses here because to pour is something that is not, uh, it's not slow and calculated. It's like dumping out. It's like the end of the game where um, a team wins a championship. They take the Gatorade bucket and they pour it out on the coach, right? A lot of times stuff goes all over the place because it is an emptying. And in emptying, a lot of stuff comes out at once. What the scripture writer tells us is that God is safe. Jesus is trustworthy. That the process of pouring out the fullness of what's going on on the inside of you is a good, healthy, biblical, spiritual practice that will help you thrive in all of your relationships with God and with other people. Now, the main reason we're doing this series on real love is because it is impossible to be a Christian if we don't learn what it means to love. The commands, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, these are relational commands. How do we love God? How do we obey the most important commands if we don't learn what it means to love? So we are told here to trust in him at all times and to pour out our hearts before him. And the reason this is is because the ultimate purpose that God has for you in your life, the ultimate purpose that God has for you in your life is that God wants to transform all of you. Now, in American Christianity, we tend to limit our lives to physical and spiritual, and we neglect our emotional, intellectual, and social world. But Jesus has come to redeem and restore 
all of you. Physically, we will have a new body at the new resurrection. Emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and socially. And the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament is not just a spiritual one. When Jesus was with his disciples, he tells his disciples in, in John 9 and all other gospel accounts, these people are hungry, feed them. It's not just spiritual. It's not just sermons. Give them food. One of the bigger challenges is that we don't see the, the comprehensive nature of what Jesus has come, come to do. There's a scripture in Matthew where Jesus is uh, being pursued by a man who was a leper, and it says that these great crowds were following Jesus, and a leper reached out to Jesus and, and said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches his hand out and touches the man and heals him. Now, why did Jesus touch him? Why didn't Jesus do like he had done in so many other instances in the New Testament and just say, you're healed? Other times in Scripture, Jesus didn't touch anybody to heal them. But why did Jesus touch him in this case? Because he didn't want to just restore him physically. He wanted that man to be restored physically, socially, and emotionally. So you are not untouchable. What God wants to do in your life is not just spiritual. Yes, we want you to understand the gospel, but we want God, that gospel to redeem every single aspect of your life. But if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, particularly with our emotional world and the difficult emotions, fear, sadness, being misunderstood, anxiety, man, it is, it's hard. I don't want to lie to anybody and make it seem like this is an easy thing to do. Years ago, I was playing basketball, and this was probably 20 years ago now, I was playing basketball, and um, I went for a rebound, and when I took my hand out of the pile, my fingers were facing this way, and my pinky was facing that way, and I took my hand out, and it was like uh, something that has gone very wrong. I went to the hospital, they put my finger back in place, and then the next day I went to the orthopedic doctor, and they put my finger in a splint. And for eight weeks, I walked around like an AKA with my pinky in the air, <laughs> And then I went back to the doctor eight weeks later, took the splint off. She did her examination. She said, Mr. Rice, your pinky is perfectly intact. It's back, in, it's back in place. The tendons have reattached perfectly. All you need to do now is to go to physical therapy. I went to physical therapy the next day. And true story, I'm not exaggerating at all. I was sitting there next to a man who just recently had his leg amputated. And he asked me, you know, what are you here for? I said, I just got, I got shot. And, uh, <laughs> Deep wounds, deep wounds. <laughs> no, I had to confess and say, I'm here for, I'm here for my pinky. <laughs> and I'll never forget the first exercise that the physical therapist had me do. Uh, she's working with multiple clients at the same time, and she put a bowl of beans in, uh, in, on the table in front of me, and she said, put your hand in the bowl and massage them and make a fist like that and bend your pinky. As soon as I put my hand in that bowl and tried to move it, Yo, I've never felt worse pain in my life. The physical therapist had to leave the amputee to come to me and comfort me <laughs> because I was sweating and bowled over in pain. I was like, yo, something is like wrong. There's no way. There is no way that this finger has healed. She said, Mr. Rice, it has healed perfectly. It's just been stuck in the same place for too long. Don't confuse the pain of progress and healing with the pain of damage. In life, yes, okay, this is 11.30, this is the 11.30, I forgot. 
Don't confuse the pain of, of healing, the real pain, the discomfort of healing with the discomfort of damage. Now, if we were to really take James to heart and take scripture writer in Psalms to heart to pour out our hearts before God, it is going to be a painful process that I don't want us to put on rose-colored glasses uh, about. But if we stick with it, it will become gradually significantly easier over time. It will not leave us with the same stinging pain that it is to, to begin. Now, as a pastor here at Renaissance, to be perfectly honest, one of my main goals and hopes in life is that you would develop and mature spiritually, that you would know the gospel, that you would learn what it means to be a child of God, and that in doing so, you would also have robust, thriving, emotionally healthy relationships where you have just matured, where a weakness of not being able to express and understand what's going on inside of you will now be a strength. But there's a couple of reasons why we really don't do what the psalmist tells us to do in Psalm 62 and 8. He tells us to pour out our hearts before him, and I, you know what? I don't, I don't think that we feel all the time that we have permission to do that, particularly when they are really negative and difficult emotions. To feel misunderstood, to feel deeply disappointed, to feel angry at God. I'll never forget years ago, I was preaching a sermon on suffering, and I talked about feeling just so disappointed with God. And a woman at the service stopped me. She said, don't ever say you were disappointed with God. God is holy and he's righteous and he's perfect. And I was like, again, all of these things are true. And I was still very disappointed in him. Sin affects not just our actions, but our thoughts. And that means that in all of our ways, we don't see God clearly. But you pretending that you're not disappointed when you are deeply disappointed, that is robbing you of real integrity and integration. Now, to live a life where your physical, emotional, intellectual, social, and spiritual world are together, this is integration. To separate these things is disintegration. And I'm afraid that so many times in my life I've done that, where in not feeling the permission to have or express negative emotions, man, I've just been, I've, I've disintegrated in my life. But if you read through the scripture, if you read through the Psalms, Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments, meaning that if you patterned your prayer life after the Psalms, the prayers of the people, if you say, you know what, for the next month, all I'm going to do, I'll pray the Psalms, then 20 out of the next 30 days, your prayer life will be full of laments, complaints, grievances, and sadness. There's an imbalance that we have in American Christianity that needs to be reworked in so many different ways. Other times, if you read stories of Scripture, men of faith, people of faith like Job, Man, Job was miserable. For the majority of the book, he is just miserable, and he's telling his friends how miserable he is. We have permission to experience and to feel all of our emotions. Now, our emotions are like kids on vacation. You cannot put them in the driver's seat, and you cannot put them in the trunk. <laughs> you, can, you might want to put them in the trunk. After the 13th, are we there yet? And like, we haven't even got to New Jersey. And we're talking, <laughs> we're going to Georgia. We got a long way to go, my friends. Uh, we can't put them in a driver's seat. We can't let them have full access to take us wherever they want to take us. But we can't pretend that they don't there. We have permission to go there in our emotional internal world. Number two, I, I think we struggle because we don't see the spirituality of an, having an emotional life. It's for like weak people. It's not for like people of faith. You know what I'm saying? Like if you got faith over feelings, 
Yeah, 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 you'll, you'll be sad every now and then, but man, you'll just be standing, on, standing firm on God's word. The problem with that is if you look at the most spiritual being to ever walk this planet, Jesus of Nazareth, you will see a man who has access to the full range of his emotions. When Jesus was with his friends, Lazarus, he heard that Lazarus had died. Scripture says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I don't know if you've ever wept in your life. To have an uncontrollable flow of tears where you cannot stop, where you are overcome by sadness and emotion and you are weeping. It tells us that even though Jesus, the King of Kings, the healer, who knew he was going to raise him from the dead, even knowing this spiritually and intellectually, he still felt these feelings in the moment. Jesus, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says this. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. What is Jesus doing and expressing here? He's expressing deep grief. Quite literally, he's saying two things. One, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. And number two, he reaches out to his friends for assistance. If you want to be like Jesus, then you need to pay attention to your emotional world and feel the freedom to do that. Number three, I don't think that we feel the utility, that it's useful to pay attention to our emotions. And men, a lot of men would certainly fall in this camp. Like, I mean, what does it matter, right? Like, all right, I feel sad about this. What do I, okay, so if I, if I admit that I was really sad or anxious about this, what is it actually going to do? How is it going to help my relationships? Uh, right before Renaissance started, I was dealing with a tremendous amount of anxiety. Better stated, I was extremely fearful that Renaissance was going to quote unquote fail. I think in my brain, I needed a certain number of people to show up at events in order to feel like I was a success and not a failure. And that really plagued me. Um, I, I had a really bad experience with my residency when I was doing a, a church residency. And I just felt like, man, I have to prove people wrong. And I was so anxious all the time, but I buried that anxiety. We got invited to a wedding in India, and my wife was so excited about going to this wedding, and we didn't have any kids at the moment. There was no excuse to not go to this wedding other than I didn't want to lose any of the quote-unquote progress that we had been making with the church. So I tried to make up different reasons why we couldn't go to India and have this amazing experience. And finally, uh, I was talking to a coach, a pastor of mine, and he was helping me to unearth some of the really negative emotions of fear and anxiety that I had living inside of me. And thankfully, with his guidance and with conversations with Jess and friends, I, I laid, it, you know, laid that anxiety down, uh, confessed it, and was able to go to the trip. And we had an amazing time. And none of my fears that I thought were going to happen actually took root. Now, what would it be like to be in a relationship with someone with so much crippling fear and anxiety who refuses to admit it? Is that a relationship that you want to be in? So many of our relationships are plagued with unprocessed emotions, and we don't see the utility in bringing these things out. Thanksgiving dinner is going to be difficult, not because the person who's making a mac and cheese is not supposed to be making a mac and cheese. <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner is difficult because you have groups of people who have, they might be 90 years old, but they are still emotional infants. They don't even have a category for how to process their emotions, and life would be so much, and relationships would be so much better and thriving if we're able to do that. And number four, we just don't know how to do it. We don't know how to process our emotional world. Uh, one of my mentors, a man named Pete Scazzaro, he says this, 
Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. Which means that your family of origin, the way your parents and grandparents and their parents dealt with conflict, emotion, sadness, fear, anger, this is exactly how you have been formed. And what it means to be brought into the new family of Jesus is to put off our old man, which is corrupt, and to put on the new man and walk in the newness of life in a new family in Jesus, to learn what are the new ways, what are the actual ways that I should be handling conflict in life. Now, so many different people, when I've talked to people, they have no process, they have no model for how do they process negative emotions. Growing up, you had two categories. There was praise in your family for achievement, and there was anger when things weren't right, and nothing in between. So you've never had a conversation about feeling misunderstood in your entire life. And don't even know how to even access that. And in so many ways, to even try to reach for that feels painful because we've been stuck in the same place for so long. Uh, so many people who feel like there's just no space for you to have a, an, an opinion about something. There's no space in your family to even feel any type of way because nobody cares how you feel. Like there's too many things going on. Nobody's going to stop and ask you or care how you're doing. And as a result, we have learned through our family of origin that emotions are shameful, things that should be suppressed, not things that should be prayed through and brought out to the surface and processed uh, carefully and lovingly. So this is what I want you to do this week. Uh, we're going to have some notes in the sermon app that's going to be in the Renaissance app under sermons tomorrow. And we'll have this uh, exercise for you. This exercise is called emptying the emotional jug. Emptying the emotional jug. What you're going to do is you're going to ask yourself four questions, and you're going to ask yourself these same questions three times. This is what I want you to do. So this week, I want you to set a timer for 15 minutes, and I want you to ask, and I want, to give yourself, want you to give yourself permission to really thoroughly engage with this. Now, a lot of you are going to be thinking to yourself right now, yo, this is amazing, I'm going to do this, and you're not going to do it. And you're going to keep a lot of stuff inside of this. And it's going to keep on falling out on people. You're going to keep on bleeding on people who didn't cut you. So the first question is, what are you angry about? What are you angry about? Now, if you're married, you could do this with your spouse. You could sit knee to knee and ask each other these questions. One person goes at a time through all four questions. Then you go to the other person. Uh, you could do this with a friend. You could certainly, I do this alone as well. I want you to sit down and ask yourself, what am I angry about? You could be angry about anything, small or big and allow yourself to feel that. Now, a quick thing about anger. A lot of times, what we think we're angry about, we're actually not. So for some of you, it's gonna be really easy to put a lot of stuff in anger, and then when you get to later questions, you'll realize that I'm actually not mad about this. I'm actually really sad about this. I'm actually really fearful for this. Anger is a secondary, is a mask emotion, that we feel it, we can access it quickly because it's been the only thing that's been modeled for us. So you're going to ask yourself three times, what am I angry about? If there is anything else that I might be angry about, what might it be? When someone makes you miss a subway, whatever it is, it could be a, a next-door neighbor who's uh, having odors come out of the apartment. It just makes you mad. There's nothing unholy with having a feeling at all. You should feel free to express that. Because here's the thing, if you're mad all day that the people in front of you were doing that on a sidewalk and then you get home and you haven't processed that anger, what are you going to do? You're going to take that on other people. So the first one is, what are you mad about? Second one is, this one is, this one is difficult. What are you sad about? What's a, what's a real disappointment that you are currently and presently 
experiencing? What's something that just brings, that just makes you feel, feel pain in, in the moment? This could be a small or a big loss. This could be the, the, a dream that seems to be slipping away. Uh, it could be a fear. Of, uh, it could be something that is a, a big thing. It could be something that you've done in your past that makes you sad. Um, but I want us to spend time asking that same question three times. What am, I, what am I sad about? What am I sad about? Next question is, what are you anxious about? Again, asking yourself this question over and over again. What am I presently anxious about? One of the challenges in like working with people and friendships is that there are so many times people are afraid or anxious of something and they don't even know what's going on inside of them. So they externalize the issue and make it about everybody else. If you're afraid of being left out of stuff and you're anxious about being left out and not invited to different things, then small uh, then smaller things would, would hit to the core in your life in ways that maybe not even in, have been in, intended. If you're like really fearful about being insignificant like I was and am so many times, things that are just general critiques about something that you're doing will be like a big bomb dropped in front of you because I have all of this anxiety and fear that I'm not good at what I do. So if you tell me, hey, that wasn't good, I immediately attach it to the core of my being instead of saying, Jordan, you're just anxious about not knowing what you're doing, and allowing myself to feel that freedom. And the last one, we ended on a happier note. What are you glad about? Your emotions are not just negative or difficult. They are also your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, uh, the things that make you happy. So what are you angry about, sad about, anxious about, and glad about? Now, one of the challenges in doing this, the last thing is, if you do this properly and do it thoroughly, um, you really might feel overwhelmed. And that's a good thing. Because anything that pushes you to Jesus is a gift. Charles Spurgeon once said that I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And so many times in experiencing the fullness of our anger, our sadness, our fears, man, those will just be waves that take us away. But if we are careful, if we will allow them to, they will take us to the rock of ages, who tells us to come to him, come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here this week who will have the courage to go inward, to listen to what's going on inside of their internal world, to pour out their hearts to you, to pour out their sadness, to pour out their anger, to pour out their anxiety to you, and to pour out their gladness to you as well. Father, may we see the beauty and the spirituality of the fullness of what you have uh, put inside of us, not just our spiritual lives, but also our social and spiritual and emotional lives as well. Father, give us courage to face what is inside of us. Through your power, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.